This morning we're going to continue through the book of John, kind of picking up where we left off last week, close anyways. John chapter number 21. We'll look at three verses this morning very quickly. Somebody pointed out that every time I say we're going to do something very quickly, it takes longer. It's only three verses. How long could it take? John chapter number 21, verse number 15. So, so when they had dined, Jesus saith to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, Love me more than these? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my lambs. He saith to him again, Second time, Simon, son of Jonas, Love thou me? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my sheep. He saith unto him a third time, Simon, son of Jonas, Lovest thou me? Peter was grieved because he said unto him the third time, Lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. Jesus saith unto him, Feed my sheep. This is a critical passage for churches today, for ministers today. This is a great lesson for churches. It's a great lesson for ministers, but it's also a great lesson to each one of us. Because as believers, we are the church. And this is a command not just for Peter, this is a command for every person in the church. That was caused some confusion, and it's causing confusion here for Peter because Peter's wondering, why does he keep asking me the same question? Doesn't he believe me? Peter's very smart. He says, Jesus, you know everything. You know I love you. This is one of the, the basic foundations of our ministry. So many Christians look for their ministry, their purpose in life, and where they're supposed to be applying themselves, but yet they fail to do the basics of ministry, which the very basics of ministry is very simply, feed my sheep. The meal was finished. If you remember last week, Jesus appeared on the shore. They were out fishing all night, didn't catch anything. Jesus said, throw the net on the other side. They threw it on the other side. They caught a how many fish? A hundred and what? 153. Get you guys paying attention to stuff. And they caught these fish, and they brought them to shore. But Jesus already had fish. He was already cooking. It wasn't a, a picture of, of providing for yourself, but relying upon Jesus. But remember what Peter did. When Peter realized it was Jesus, he threw himself into the ocean, threw himself into the sea, and swam to the shore because the boat just wasn't fast enough. He left everybody else out there to do the work. He just wanted to be at the feet of Jesus. So they had their meal. They had their breakfast. They're sitting around talking, sharing the meal. We know by studying into the Acts of the Apostles in the next book of the Bible, we know what happens with Peter. Peter becomes, the, in essence, the, the pastor, the, the earthly head of the church there in Jerusalem. He's put into a position of authority. But also remember Peter's recent past. Remember what Peter did when Jesus was on trial? He denied him. Three times. Now, Jesus may be very quick to forgive and to restore, but church folks typically aren't. And so Jesus wants him to be the leader of the church there, but I'm sure that some of the other apostles were like, really, Peter? 
you know he's not perfect, like us. You ever know that church person? I can introduce you. She doesn't go here anymore. I can still introduce you. He needed to make sure that, that one of the apostles, apostles were ready for something, were ready to, to follow Peter, but he also had to make sure that Peter was ready. Now, Jesus knew what Peter was going to do. Jesus knew that Peter was ready, but did Peter know? One of the things that holds us back the most is self-doubt. Self-doubt cripples us. It is one of my biggest afflictions. About seven years ago, I started writing a book. It took me three, over three years to write the book and to publish it. You know why? It wasn't good enough. Every time I'd get done, I'd look at it, I'm like, this isn't good enough, and I'd start over. And finally, another author finally told me, he says, he says you know, what are you looking for? Are you looking for perfection? And I said, yeah, basically. He's like, then you're never going to write your book. He said, the Bible is perfect. Anything you write won't be. Wow. That's like a kick in the head. He says, your story needs to be told, and 90% and published is better than 100% unpublished. Hopefully, I got higher than 90%. I just got a grade back on a test I took. Well, actually, a semester grade on a course I took, and I got a 99 in the course. And I'm like, just a 99? I was disappointed because it holds me back. I, I have a hard time at, work, at, at school. I submit work late because it's not quite perfect. Then my professor calls me and says, where's your assignment? It's not perfect. I don't care if it's perfect. Turn it in. And I'll turn it in. I get a 99.6. I'm like, see? Told you it wasn't ready. But it's that self-doubt. It, it hinders us. It hampers us. And I would imagine, Peter, this hasn't been very long. I would imagine Peter's probably still struggling with a lot of self-doubt. So Jesus wants to make sure that's over. Jesus doesn't want us to doubt. This is why he heaps on evidence in the Bible. You ever notice that some things in the Bible, it just seems like he, he heaps it on, he heaps it on, he heaps it on, he keeps talking about it, talking about forgiveness and love. Yeah, we get it, we get it, forgiveness and love. You know why he talks about it so much? Because we doubt it so much. Even as believers, we, we start to doubt whether or not Jesus can truly forgive us as vile as we are, the things that we've done. Can Jesus really forgive us? Yes. But that little bit of doubt, Satan works in that little bit of doubt into our lives, and he allows that little bit of doubt to grab root. And it doesn't unsave us, but it makes us ineffective. He doesn't want Peter to become ineffective for the gospel. Peter's got great things coming up. And Peter isn't going to have time for self-doubt. He's not going to have time to second-guess himself or the Gospels. Jesus also needed to teach the disciples that none of them, not even a charismatic leader such as Peter, could ever bear godly fruit unless he truly loved the flock of God. There's a lot of smart guys out there. But if you don't truly love your fellow believers, you're never going to have an effective ministry. It all starts with love. We serve an infinite God, a God that is so big and so great and so powerful and, and, and just his very basic attributes we can't even completely understand, and yet he describes himself to us in the simplest of terms. He says, God is love. 
If we can't understand love or if we can't express love, what good are we for him? The most gifted person in the world can do nothing without love. The one great thing, maybe the only great thing that truly qualifies somebody to to, to be a minister of Christ is not education. It's love. We have some of the most educated men in the world at the time that wrote in the Bible, Paul being one of them. And then we got one of the old backward country preachers in Amos in the Old Testament that was used just as effectively. We have people that stand before before kings and say, I don't know a lot about this world, but I know one thing. I know Jesus Christ is the only way. We need more people who, who stop getting so hung up on the minutia of the Bible. I get frustrated with pastors when they, they start getting too far into the Greek and the Hebrew. And there's nothing wrong with studying Greek and Hebrew. It, it'll open up the Word of God like you've never seen before. But they get so hung up on the minutia of words that they get to the point where they become ineffective because it becomes more about their personal study and their personal knowledge than it is about the love of God flowing through them. I like to study. I've made it a goal. I'll be taking classes till I can't take classes anymore. I will sit at the feet of godly men and study from them what God has put into them. I'll, I'll glean as much as I can from them as long as I am able to. From me. And you guys get some of the overflow from that. But if all I have is knowledge and I don't have love, I'm useless. We have to foster the love first. I think too often in Christendom as a whole, we spend more time worrying about the rules than we do about the love. I'm not saying the rules aren't important. Doctrine is vitally important. We need to know what God says do and what God says don't do. And we need to do what God says to do and not do what God says not to do. But it's got to start with love. It's all got to come from a point of love. Verse number 15. So when they had dined, Jesus saith unto Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest me more than these? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my lambs. What's meant by these? You talk to ten different pastors, you're going to get ten different opinions. The short answer is we don't know what these is. Some people have said these are the fish because Peter was a fisherman. And when he didn't know what else to do, he went back to fishing. So Jesus, you know, do you love me more than these fish? Maybe. The other disciples were there. Do you love me more than the disciples? Were the disciples of these? Maybe. Maybe it was the boats. A lot of people out today worship in their boats. They can't be in church because they got to go out on the water and worship their boat. So maybe it was the boats. Maybe. God left it vague, and I think he left it vague for a reason, because in our minds when we read it, we think of a these. Because your these are going to be different than my these. In short, it's any of these. I haven't taken all my English classes yet. So it's any of these. Whatever it is. Whatever that thing is that pops into your mind when you read it. When you put yourself in there and Jesus says, Jesus comes to you and says, Pam, do you love me more than these? Whatever pops into your head, that's your these. Harmon, do you love me more than these? That's your these. I don't know what it is. 
Maybe it's your kids. Maybe it's your job. Maybe it's a hobby. There's no wrong reason to love those things. But do you love Jesus more? Is the question. Jesus isn't rebuking Peter for loving anything that we mentioned. He's not rebuking him for loving the fish. He's not rebuking him for loving the boat. He's definitely not rebuking him for loving the disciples. The question is, do you love me more? Do you love me more? What is that thing in your life? What is that thing that seems to be so important to you in your life? It's okay to love that most of the time. Unless it's something evil or perverse, it's okay to love that. It's okay to love your family. It's encouraged in the Bible to love your family. It's okay to work hard, love your work. That's great. If you love your work, more power to you. But when you love it more than Jesus, then it's a problem. Then it's a problem. You notice how he called him? Simon, son of Jonas. That's like using the full name. Your mom ever call you by your full name? That means something, doesn't it? What's Glenn's middle name? It's just, I'm sorry. As soon as it came out of my mouth, I'm like, this is not going to be a bonding moment for father and son. I apologize. So when, when your dad would say Glenn, you may or may not listen. But if you said Glenn Andrew, or if your mom said it, or your grandma said it, you, suddenly you're listening, aren't you? Right? Why? Because you're in trouble. And so why did he use it here? Peter's not really in trouble. I think, one, because it got his attention. It got his attention real quick, but not just his attention. When you were called by your full name, whose else attention did he get? Not just yours. It got your brother's attention, didn't it? And your sister's attention, because like, oh, Glenn, you're going to get it. <laughs> and so when he used that name, all the other disciples stopped what they were doing. They're like, oh, what's going to happen? Yeah, Peter denied him. Now Peter's going to get it. Peter went fishing when he should have been waiting. Now Peter's going to get it. And so they're all listening. They're all probably pretending like they're not, but they're listening. And that's what Jesus wanted. He wanted everyone's attention. He wanted everyone's attention on what he was about to say. Because it's that important. This isn't just for Peter. This is for all of them and for all of us. They have to pay attention. Verse number 16, he asked them again. He said that I'm again. The second time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my sheep. A little different this time, though, right? One word different. Anybody see what that one word is? Lamb to sheep. All you farmers in the room, all you ranchers in the room, what's the difference between a lamb and a sheep? Right? Age. Lambs are the little ones. Sheeps are the big ones. I'm a city boy, I know that. Even I can figure that out. He's got a lot of little lessons in here, but what he's, he's talking about is it's not just about feeding the adult sheep. By the way, when we're talking about feeding sheep, He's not talking about physically feeding. He talks about that in other places. But he was talking about feeding the sheep and feeding the lambs. He's talking about feeding them the word of God. <clears throat> and by using two different terms, he implies that there's more than one way to do that. There's a reason why the junior church kids or the younger kids go over in the other building. 
They're learning a lesson over there. They're learning something about Jesus this morning. But they're learning it different than you guys are learning. They get snacks and crafts and goofy songs and all that kind of stuff. This sounds really appealing. Maybe we should just do this as just one big junior church one day. I'll do crafts. Yeah? I don't know. Can you imagine the visitors on that day? All right, everybody stand up, sit down, turn around, stomp your feet. They'd never come back. Half of us would pass out. But they learn differently. There's a move in churches, particularly smaller churches, about doing away with junior church and having the kids right here so they can learn how to act in church. They can learn how to, how church operates and all. And there's some value to that. Occasionally, it's good to keep the kids in here just so they kind of see and experience and all. And sometimes we invite the kids in for that. But for the most part, little ones and big ones learn different. But this isn't just talking about age. This is also talking about young Christians and older Christians. It's usually easier to classify by age because you can look at somebody and tell, well, that's a lamb and this is a sheep. But sometimes some of those that look like sheep are actually little lambs deep inside. And so we try and mix things into the sermons and all so that everybody kind of gets something from it. So we're teaching the lambs and the sheep. The lambs are the children, the young converts, those that have a difficulty understanding. Sheep are mature believers. Believers who have walked and grown in the Lord. Believers who have experienced things in ministry. And it's a whole range. But the food's the same. The food's the same, it just comes in a different sources. You know, when you first bring a baby home from the, from the hospital and they're getting the formula, you know, the formula is, is basically the same thing we eat later on. It's actually a lot more, a lot denser in nutrition. But it's still the, basically the same type of food. It doesn't taste like the same kind of food. Because any, any of you dads out there, you know you tasted it. Because the babies like really like it. You're like, this stuff must be pretty good. And you squirt a little bit in your mouth, you're like, oh. Then you're putting salt in the bottle, and no. <laughs> It's bland for a reason. You don't want to mess up their taste buds and everything early on. But it's basically the same. It's just, in the beginning, it's more milk. And as they grow, they start to get more substance. They start to get more solids. Remember, you start adding a little cereal in there so it gets a little thicker. And then they start eating vegetables. They start eating fruits. And then they start, they start eating meats. But even the meats aren't really meats. It's just like blended meats. You know, it's like... That doesn't taste good either. I've tasted all that, by the way. You get bored sometimes. You're sitting there shoveling food in a kid's mouth. Like, well, he likes it. Let me try a little bit. It's all horrible. I heard of a diet one time where people, that's all they ate was baby food. That's how they lost weight. How'd lose weight too on baby food? You can't eat it. The bottle, the jar it comes in, much more tasty. But it's, it's different in the substance. And as we get older, we're not satisfied with pureed meats. We need something with more substance. We need something with more, more chew to it. And the same thing should be in your Christian life. If you're still eating baby food, there's something wrong. you got to graduate up and start eating some cereal, maybe a few vegetables and some fruits, and work your way up to some meat. 
get into the meat of the gospel. Tons of churches around, all they serve is milk. We need churches, we need ministries that serve meat. It's kind of like reading your Bible and studying your Bible. There's power in reading the Bible, but reading your Bible is kind of like drinking milk. It's good for you, but it's not going to be completely filling. Studying your Bible, that's like eating a meal. That's taking that milk and making something with it. That's taking the, the, the basics and turning it into meat. And we're called to do both. In 1 Peter 2, 2 and 3, it says, As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word, that ye may grow thereby, if so be ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious. 2 Timothy 2.15 says, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. See, we're called to read, we're called to drink the milk, but we're also called to study. There's two ministries of every church, should be two ministries of every church. The first one is the feed with the word. The second one is the shepherd. The shepherd means to protect. People get upset sometimes when I will mention another ministry or mention something that's going on in the world, whether it has a political slant or not. I don't do that for votes. I don't do that for political parties. I do that as part of my job as an under-shepherd is to warn you about the dangers that are out there. And when we have administrations that are funding terrorism, and then those terrorists turn around and attack Israel, our ally, and everybody's quiet about it, there's a problem there. Christians need to stand up and say, wait a minute, why are we paying for missiles that are blowing up our allies? Why are we funding abortions in foreign countries? Why are we doing these things? And as Christians, we need to stand up and not just ask the questions, but demand that it stops. That's not being political. That's shepherding. 1 Peter 5, 2 and 3 says, Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy liqueur, or lucre, liqueur is something different, but of a ready mind, neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being examples to the flock. We don't do it for money. We do it to take care of the flock. Verse number 17. He saith unto him the third time, Simon Jonas, son of, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Peter was grieved because he said unto him the third time, lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things, thou knowest that I love thee. Jesus saith unto him, feed my sheep. There's a small difference in this one as well in what Jesus said. Unfortunately, in the English language, we don't get the, the intricacies of it. This is one of the places where it's helpful to understand Greek and understand Hebrew. In the first two times that he said love, he used a different word than he used the third time. The first, first two times, he used the agape love. Now, agape love is a, is a love that's not used a lot. wasn't used hardly at all then. There are some historians that speculated that, that agape love prior to Jesus' teachings on the earth was, was almost non-existent. And it became something that became more commonplace because it was the only way to describe his love. It describes a, a, a love that is beyond what we normally think of love. It's a, it's a more tender affection. It's not just a like, it's a love. 
It's a warm, dark, dark feeling, that, uh, deep feeling that comes from deep within inside the, the heart. <clears throat> it's a precious love. It's more than just a, a brotherly love. In the earthly context, it would be the kind of love that you feel for a family member, for a husband or a wife or your children. That's a different love than you feel for other people. And in our language, our limited language in that area, we don't, we don't really necessarily have a word that, that distinguishes it. We call it all love. But in the Greek, they use the word agape. He said it was a word that wasn't used much historically until Jesus walked on the earth. Because his life and his leading and his teachings gave a, a new depth and a new understanding to the word love. But at this last time, he used a different kind of word. He used filio, or filio, which is a different kind of love. It's a much deeper, I mean, a, a much more, a less deeper than agape. It's more of a, a brotherly love. In fact, it's where we get the, where the word Philadelphia gets its root from, and they're known as the city of brotherly love. So this is a different kind of love. This isn't the same love that he was talking about before. It's a different love. He wanted to know if Peter loved with agape love or fiello love. Which love did he have? Did he just have that superficial love? You know, that, oh, I love everything? Or did he have the love like Peter felt for his wife? You know, Peter's, Peter's love for, for, for his wife is different than Peter's love for John, right? Jesus wants him to clarify, which love do you have? It's easy as church members to say, oh, we love all the other, all the other brothers and sisters in Christ. They were called together in the bonds of love. Right? Then we call up at 2 o'clock in the morning, hey, my car's broke down, can you come get me? And they don't answer the phone. My wife breaks down at 2 o'clock in the morning, guess where I'm going? To get my wife. That's agape love. It's a little bit of fear. But it's also agape love. But you tell me you love me. You know, I mean, I'm going to start doing this. I'm going, to, I'm going to start calling a different person every night at 2 o'clock in the morning and tell them my car needs to be jump-started in my driveway and see who shows up. Then I'll know who loves me for real. Everybody's taking their phones. I'm not going to do that, by the way. But that'd be kind of cool, wouldn't it? If I hadn't announced it and then put a chart up with all the results. Here's Pam. She hung up on me. I said, hey, this is Pastor. Just to see how deep that love really is, right? Somebody would be like, I'll call somebody for you. Do you have Dean's number? He's old. He don't sleep. He wanted to know which love he had. And this is a lesson for us because we claim love, but which love do we have for each other? We're called to have agape love for each other. Like family. We're brothers and we're sisters. What does it mean to have a brother and sister in Christ? Just like a real brother and sister. You know you're going to fight sometimes? Eh, that's, it's not okay, but it's going to happen. You know, it's not okay when brothers and sisters fight, but it's going to happen. Brothers and brothers fight. It's not okay, but it's going to happen. 
remember when V and I first started dating, she lived right across the, she was in a con, uh, like a little duplex. Across was another duplex, and her brother, two of her brothers lived over there. And I went over there one morning in the morning, and I hear a commotion outside. And we go over there, and we go up and open up the door and look out. And her brother, my, one of my sister-in-laws, my future sister-in-laws is out there, and she's like, oh, you know, th- these two brothers, they're, in the, they're fighting. One brother worked for the other brother, and it was time to go to work, and the other brother said, I'm not getting out of bed. And they started fighting. I can understand. So my future sister-in-law says, because I'm a lot bigger than they are, she's like, are you going to go break them up? No. Like, they're not going to kill each other. Then I thought of Cain and Abel. But I said, they're not going to kill each other. They're brothers. But if I get in the middle of it, oh, I'm going to get killed. Somebody's hurting me. That's what brothers do. Is it right? No, but they do. And as church members, we need to understand, we can have that agape love, and sometimes we're going to fight. But when you fight with your brother and your sister, you don't just run away. You get over it. You get past it. You move forward. I'm easy. It is so easy to find some reason not to like me. Talk with me for 10 minutes. I'll give you a reason not to like me. Amen? Scared bunch of... I'll say something or do something because I'm a, I'm a person who has an opinion about everything. And you might get mad at me. But if you have agape love for me and I have agape love for you, you know what? We're going to get through it. We're going to get past it. And the person sitting beside you or in front of you or behind you, if we truly have agape love, we may have a disagreement but we're going to get past it. We're going to get through it. One last thing I want to point out. Feeding my lambs, feeding my sheep, this is 100% about the brethren. It has nothing to do with the world. These verses are misapplied. Just talk about the, our love for the entire world and our, our need to physically feed the world. And while I believe that we should be helping to physically feed those that can't produce for themselves, Children and adults that cannot work, not do not want to work, or think they're overqualified to work, we should be feeding those. We should be helping them. But this ver- these verses have nothing to do with that. This is about feeding the brethren, the lambs and the sheep. The Bible talks about two different groups of people in this world, those that believe and those that do not believe. Those that believe are called the brethren. Those that believe are called the sheep or the lambs. The lambs are those that just started to believe. And so we have the, the, we have that distinguishing characteristics here that our ministries, we need to be focused first and foremost upon our love for each other. Too often I think we, we, we spend more time trying to love the world that doesn't want to be loved and less time about loving inside where there, there are Christians that are hurting. There are Christians that are damaged. There are Christians that need to, to hear the word of God. They need to be edified and built up. And we are called first to the brethren. That's uncomfortable for a lot of people to hear. But that's the reality. We need to be working with each other first. Because what happens is, when we start building each other up, you know, love is one of those things that the more I give out, the more I receive. So the more agape love that I pour out on you guys, the more agape love you give me. Eventually, we're so full of it, we got to spread it with the world. Interpret that however you want. But we get so much love inside of us, it's got to go someplace. 
And once we're full here, it starts going out in the world. The reason why most churches never reach out past their four walls is because they, they never start loving each other. You gotta start loving each other. You gotta start loving each other with agape love. When we love each other with agape love, it'll start carrying out into the world without us even trying to, you know, to be intentional about it. I, I get emails almost every day from some guru about how to reach your community and how to reach this person, how to reach that person. The secret to reaching people starts here in the church house. When we start loving each other, that love we carry out everywhere we go. And that love, the people are going to notice that there's something different. You know, the Bible talks about people asking. When was the last time somebody asked you about the joy that's in your heart? That should be almost an everyday conversation if we're doing what we're supposed to be doing here. Some of you are here and you don't have that love inside of you because you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior. You're not part of the brethren. You've never come at a point in time in your life where you accepted Christ as your Savior. What a tragedy. You come to church repeatedly, hear the word, and sit there and think, that's not for me. That was my wife. For a year, she went to church. Every time the pastor would say anything about it, salvation, she'd say, oh, that's not for me. He's talking to somebody else. Until finally after church one day, she stops me. We're, we're getting ready to pull out of the parking lot. She stops me. She says, when the pastor's talking about a, you know, people needing to be saved, he's talking about me, isn't he? I said, yeah. Not you specifically, but yeah, you. Specifically. And we went back inside the church, and she ended up accepting Jesus Christ as her Savior. What a tragedy it would have been if she'd gone for six months Died in a car accident. Opened up her eyes in hell. Good person. A lot of good people are going to open up their eyes in hell. A lot of good people sitting in church today, not here, not just here, but in other places. A lot of good people are sitting there, and if something tragic should happen this week, they'd open up their eyes in hell. How tragic is that? If you fall into that category, before you can even understand what agape love is, you need to experience it from Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the literal manifestation of, of God's agape love. It's our first true experience of agape love. If you're here today and you've never accepted Christ as your Savior, I pray that today will be that day.